We've, uh, I want to say good morning to those of you joining us online as well. It's great to, to have you with us this morning. If you've been with us and uh, this isn't your first Sunday, you'll know that we've been in a series called Deep Clean. This is the fourth week of our series and the heart of this series has been the, the sense that we've had from the Lord that we need to do some exploration into our own hearts, to take a torch and to kind of open the cupboard, shine a light into some of the places that are at the back, some of the places that are a little bit dark and to find some of the stuff that's been accumulating there and get it out. And on our journey so far, we've, we've looked at the new life that we have in Christ that makes this work available to us, something that only God can do in us. We looked at the grace that God gives to us in His forgiveness for our sin, and we looked at the call that He extends to us to give grace to others as they sin against us. And this week, the next part of what we're going to be exploring is the role that renewing our minds plays in this cleaning process. And as we work through this together, I want to use a bit of a metaphor as a way of kind of holding everything together. So I want you to join me, and let's look at this beautiful picture on the screen. And uh, let's, we need to work together on this one. I want to ask you, what do you notice about this picture? Sorry, what was that? I heard something. Litter, right? I don't know about, it's, it's rocks more than it's litter, and it's, it's called it a distance thing, hey? But there's some white rocks in there. Thankfully, this is not in Cape Town. There aren't any pick and pay packets. <laughs> right? But there's some white rocks. Are they all the same size? No, right? Some of them are a bit bigger, some of them smaller, some of them sitting on top. Some of them look like it would be real hard work to get them out. Right? They're in there quite deep. What else do you notice? It's green, it's grassy, yeah? There's trees, there's bushes and shrubs and stuff that's going on over there. There's life in the picture, absolutely, right? The ground is also a little bit uneven, right? Maybe it's a bit harder to see and it's not quite as important, but I just want to see it there. Now, I want you to imagine that Jesus walks into that field and he erects a fence around it. And he says, this fence marks my land. This land is now mine. And that, I want you to see that as a metaphor, as an image of your life. When Jesus came into your life, he demarcated it and he said, this is now mine. But he got a field, he bought a field that had a whole bunch of rocks and trees and shrubs and uneven ground in it. But when he claims that field, he says, now I want you, manager of this field, right, you, I want you to, this field is now going to become a farm. I want you to cultivate this field so that it can produce fruits and food for people around you. That's ultimately what you want your field to look like. It's green, the ground is cultivated, it's bearing fruits. As we live our lives, some of that work is easier than others, right? So when that begins, you don't start, you're like, okay, we're now going to plant a seed on this big, large rock. Uh, that doesn't work. So what you do is you go find the corner of the field that's got the least stuff in it. You're like, right, we can dig the grass out. That's quite easy. And we can plant some seeds in the gro- into the ground that we've now dug up. And it, so it begins to be a little bit haphazard. And as you we build that area and that area starts to go quite nicely, and as you extend it out, you're like, oh, there's, there's a tree in the way. Well, it's quite a lot of effort to dig the tree out, so we just go, we'll go around the tree for now, and we'll go to the next place, we'll build a little bit of a garden over there, we'll plant some cabbages here, and then we go over here, oh, now there's a large rock there, so we, we'll move to this space, and we begin to cultivate over there. And slowly we begin to cultivate the farm that is our life, but it begins, it starts, and it's a bit haphazard. 
as we work around the different obstacles that exist in our life. But our land begins to produce some fruit. But eventually you get to the point where you, you've worked the ground sort of fence to fence, and there's no area that's not cultivated except for the places where the rocks are and the trees are. Now this little metaphor is, is about the, the process of what we call sanctification. It's the process of God working in our life to make us more like Jesus. And I want to be very, very clear that when I talk about the work that we do, we do that in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Right? We're not talking about any kind of works-based salvation. Jesus bought the field. He won the salvation. You partner with him in farming it. But we, the rocks and the trees and the shrubs and the uneven ground, those represent, in my picture, the patterns of thinking and behaviors that remain from our life before Jesus. But they aren't the only rocks that exist in our field because, I don't know about you, but sometimes, perhaps, uh, perhaps often, as Christians even, we can carry rocks into our own field and we can just dump them in a corner that we don't want to deal with. Remember last week, Grant spoke about forgiveness. Unforgiveness is one of those rocks. It's one of those things that's too hard to lift right now, so I'm just going to drop it over there and deal with it later. And cultivating the farm around these obstacles is why renewing our minds matters. Because what we believe shapes how we act and what we do. So, quick illustration. Right, Margaret, very politically minded. Right? Don't tell us who you vote for, but why do you vote how you vote? <laughs> yeah. That's true. Margaret's not a citizen. But you work with a lot of political groups because you want the people to be empowered to vote, right? Because they can do that because they want to see things they value come into being. Is that fair? Right? Particularly as Christians, right? Rich, you have a car. Why did you buy the car that you bought? (laughs) Was it a deal? Do you want to get somewhere? Does it meet the needs that you have for it? Yeah. Okay, so you had a dream. You're like, I want to be able to go places. So I'm going to get this car. Do this just to tease out this idea that the reason we do things is predicated on what we believe. Right? Maybe you chose to buy the car because it was cheap and that was all you could afford. Maybe it was given to you as a hand-me-down. Maybe you wanted to be able to get into places that are inaccessible if you drive a Hyundai Getz like me. Although I like to raise the bar on where my Hyundai Getz can get. (laughs) But there are reasons that we do the things that we do. Our actions are predicated on what we believe and what we think. And so if you don't take the time to uproot the rocks that exist in your field, there will remain in your life patterns of thinking, ways of living, actions and attitudes that are not connected to the new life you have in Christ. When Jesus put a fence around that field, it didn't magically become a farm. It became his. The cultivation happens over time. And those places that are unconnected to the life that we have in Christ, they become pitfalls for us. They become hard places where the ground cannot be cultivated. That prevents us bearing the fruit that God has designed us to bear. I'll ask you this. Have you ever encountered some people that you think are like really like, they're really godly people? You kind of really look up to them. Someone asks you to write a character reference for them. You'd be like, this person is super fantastic and they're like really amazing 
But then there's that like one place, there's that one moment where you raise one topic or you say one thing and suddenly you see something come out of there that you're like, yes, that doesn't feel like it fits this person. I'm like, how is this godly person acting in such an ungodly way? Shame to say I was that person this last week. I mean, assuming that I started from a godly starting point, right? That's up to you <laughs> and the Lord. But we were, we were hanging out with some friends. We were playing a game together and, um, and didn't go super well. And so, of course, we began to debrief the game and the situation. And in that moment, I just, I just chirped one of my mates. And I realized when I looked at it, it was, it was harsh. It was unloving. There was nothing godly about it. And I had to ask us, like, why is, where does that come from? What does that come out of? You know, living free, we, we, we illustrate this with this picture. If, uh, if I'm carrying a coffee cup, right, and I've poured myself a lacquer cup of coffee, and uh, Byron tries to walk past me, and he bumps me from behind. And as he bumps me, I trip, and some of that coffee spills out, and it hits Byron. He gets a little bit burnt by the coffee. Whose fault is it that the coffee was hot? Right? <laughs> I put the coffee in the cup. It's my coffee. He caused it to come out. But what came out was mine. There are places sometimes in our lives that that prevent us from bearing the fruit that God wants us to have. And, And when something happens, you can see those reactions that come, those reactions that come out of anger. Or those places where you just feel like you just can't trust someone in this place again. Or something happens and you default to fear. Or you seek to control something. Or you, you push yourself on others and you dominate and overpower them. Or you shy away from responsibility because you just don't know that you could. Some of these rocks can be so entrenched. They can have been there for years. And anyone who has been in any kind of counseling space, whether you've been in counseling or you do counseling, you will know that sometimes these things can happen from ages ago. In childhood, it can happen in real life. When a couple goes through a divorce, that affects the whole family. It affects the husband, it affects the wife, it affects the kids. It creates heartache and trauma that leads to, to stuff in our lives. As an example, I want to take a breath at this moment because I know if I were you and I've, I've sat in a space like this before where someone was teaching and they said a lot of cool stuff but there was no scripture. And I was like, listen, we didn't come here to listen to your cool stories. And it's true. You haven't come to listen to my cool stories. So we're going to go into some scripture now in a moment. And the first one, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to use this just as an introduction. And we're going to just touch on it a little bit. And then we'll dig a bit deeper after that. But here's Colossians chapter 3. This is what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whether it's sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Three quick observations. Paul starts with a call and he says, I want you to seek and I want you to set your minds on the things that are above. Do you see that? To search after the things of the kingdom of heaven. To set those values and those goals and those ideals. Set them in your mind. Set them here. Because that's where action starts. And then there's this call. This call to actively rid ourselves of our old way of life. It's a call to go into your farm and to dig up the rocks and to uproot the trees and to carry them out of the farm and to the dump. And then number three, Paul In describing this journey from before Christ to in Christ, he describes it as putting on the new self, and he says this about the new self. It is being renewed in knowledge. Do you see that? It's being renewed in knowledge. Our minds, our patterns of thinking require transformation. Because that's where our decisions come from. It's where our actions come from. And so because our minds are so important... Because what we believe really matters, they become a battlefield for, well, in the spiritual realm. This is where the enemy loves to fight. When you think about this for a moment, you're, if you're a Satan and you need to dismantle God's mission on this earth, what do you do? What if you could get Christians to think and believe the wrong stuff? What if you could twist sin in such a way to make it look like righteousness? So that people would begin to believe that there is a point at which you stop forgiving someone. That selflessness actually hurts others, and so being selfish is actually the best way to be selfless. Or that trees are more important than children. Or that love is really just acceptance. Or that discipline is actually abuse. Or that God didn't really say. See, our enemy has been doing this from the very beginning. Right back in the beginning of Genesis, what does he do? He goes up to Eve and what does he say? Did God really say that? Are you sure? Because if he can get us to believe the wrong things, then we will never be the church that Jesus called us to be. Because we will live out of those wrong beliefs and we will become ineffective and unproductive Christians that look a lot like the world. And we will fail to walk in the transforming power of Jesus. So let's go to one of my favorite scriptures as we ground this. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Paul says, he says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So I think the scripture describes, perhaps better than any other, the manner of the spiritual battle that we have against our enemy. So let's explore it section by section. We start in verse 3. Paul says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The world is physical. You live in a physical world. 
that you don't fight a physical battle. Right? As Christians, the battle that's most important is not the one that's being fought in Ukraine at the moment. Paul says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. It's not important that we arm ourselves with guns and tanks and bombs and fight like that. Those aren't the battles that actually matter the most. Paul says our weapons are different. He says they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Let's pause there for a moment. They have divine power. They have godly power. They have God-given supernatural power to do something. To do what? To demolish strongholds, which is very military language. Stronghold is uh, something if you study history or you've been to Europe and you've seen the lack of castles that they have all over the place. You know, we have one castle here in Cape Town. It's a little bit average if you've been there. <coughs> But, you know, it is a castle. A castle is a bastion. It's a fortified military presence. And if you try and attack a castle, it's designed to be very, very hard to take. You're supposed to lose a lot of men if you try and storm a castle. But it also is a place where you can store a lot of men so that you can sally forth out of the castle and rout the enemy. Holds both of those purposes. Paul says we have been given godly, empowered, supernatural weapons, and those weapons are used to demolish strongholds. But we're still figurative. We still don't quite know what these strongholds are. And so he goes on to unpack it. Verse 5, he says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Arguments. Can I say that another way? Ways of thinking. Lines of reasoning. Reasons for behavior. Those are the things Paul says we come to demolish. Pretensions. Interesting word. Literally in the Greek it means every high thing. The best, one of the best Greek commentators, he he spoke about it like this. He says, um, the topmost perch of audacity in reasoning. Right? That's what we come against. That's what the weapons we've been given are designed to demolish. That's what the strongholds are composed of. Ways of thinking. Lines of reasoning. Reasoning that sets itself up in opposition to God. Against the knowledge of God. It opposes the truth that God gives us. It offers us an alternative way to think about something. It makes persuasive arguments that there are other ways to deal with the situation other than what God has said. There's a word for these arguments. And that word is lies. They are lies that the enemy constructs and sows into culture and desires for us to pick up. Because that's his tactic. That has always been his tactic. Jesus said this. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. There is no truth in him. And when he speaks, when he speak, when he lies, he speaks his native language. John chapter 8. So Paul says, what do we do? What do we do when we demolish these things? How do we now go about doing this? He says, well, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. This is our response. This is the how we demolish and dismantle the strongholds. It's to think about our thoughts. Right? Which sounds like a weird thing to say. But let me pause for a moment. Not every thought that you have is inherently a good thought or is inherently yours. 
Right? There are three voices you can hear in your head at any one time. One might be the enemy that is tempting you into sin, wants to lead you away from God. One might be the Holy Spirit who is leading you towards righteousness and faithfulness to God. And one might be the fact that you're hungry and pizzas are delicious and you just really want a pizza for lunch. Right? Any of those three. And so Paul's call is, he says, examine your thoughts, think about your thoughts, and then evaluate them against what God has said, against what is true. Hold them accountable to Jesus. And reject every thought, every argument, every pretension that does not align with who God is and what he has said. That literally means to think about your thought and say, no, I will not entertain that. That is rubbish. It is not true. Remember we used to get those bracelets? WWJD. Right? So cool times. (laughs) What if we had one that says WWJT? What would Jesus think? How do I think like Jesus thought? Because what Jesus did was predicated on what Jesus believed and how he thought. And so we need to challenge our minds. We need to transform and renew our minds. Can you see it? Our battle against Satan is first fought first and foremost up here. And the more ground Satan controls in your mind, the less you look like Jesus the more your past will control you. The more your life will lack power. And there will always be these huge, seemingly insurmountable obstacles to overcome and life will feel hard and joy will be missing because Satan's strongholds keep us in defeat rather than in victory. You know, if you're going to invade a country, which is something I don't recommend anyone does, right? The reason a fortress was a problem is because you couldn't just move past it. You couldn't just circle around, invade the rest of the country, and leave the fortress behind because there were men in that fortress. And so when you moved on, that left you vulnerable to being attacked from behind. It's the same with the enemy. Once he has set up a stronghold in your mind, he holds you back and prevents you from moving ahead. So let's pause for a moment. We'll go back to Brad's farming analogy. Strongholds are those rocks that are in our farm. And some of them start there. Some of them were there before you came to know Jesus. You went through stuff. You thought things about stuff. Your worldview had been shaped and that had just put rocks in your farm. But sometimes we let workers carry them in. You ever signed a contract to get a contractor to do something and they tell you, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and then you come back two weeks later and you discover that the leak that they were supposed to fix is not fixed. In fact, it's pouring more water through than before. Sometimes we do that on our farm. The contractor says, I'm going to come take some rocks out. And actually what he does is he loads more rocks in. Because the enemy has lied to you about what he's coming to do. Each time we follow a line of thinking, a lie from the enemy, that pile of rocks gets bigger and the arable space on our farm gets smaller. One of the things about strongholds is they love to jump in on the back of trauma. Something happens to you, something that's unpleasant, sometimes something you are a victim of. And then the enemy gets in there and he begins to sow misdirection and lies about who you are and what you should think about yourself. For me, when I was in matric, we did this thing called a matric camp. And on that matric camp, we did an orienteering exercise. 
those of you who don't know what orienteering is, it's where you get given a bunch of clues and uh, and a map, or sometimes not even a map, and you get given like compass bearings and says like go to this weirdly described place and then proceed in a north northwesterly direction for 27 paces and then solve this riddle and then do that and then you get to the next point and it gives you the next clue and you go and find the next thing. So we were in a team and my team decided that I would be the team leader of this team because I was a Springbok scout, which was all well and good and actually have done quite well at other orienteering exercises. But guys, we failed. We failed horribly. Like, I don't know how everyone else did. I literally don't remember. But we came stone last. We found nothing, right? We wandered around for three hours in the bush and came back empty-handed. And I remember my one mate, he turned and he looked at me after and he's like, Brad, you know, I really thought you would be better at this. And I said, Alex, I really thought I'd be better at this too, mate. <laughs> Probably about 12 years later, I was in a worship service, just singing songs, worshiping Jesus, and the voice of the Holy Spirit just called to me, Brad, do you remember that camp you went on a matric? I was like, yeah. Do you remember that uh, orienteering exercise you did? Yeah. Do you remember what your mate said to you? Yeah. You've carried insignificance from that day until now. Because the enemy had got in. And like a little hitchhiker that asks for a ride, he'd come in and he'd, and he'd just, he'd just sown enough, you know? And Brad, you, you really failed in that exercise, which is true, there's nothing, nothing. That's not a really good trait in a leader. Well, that's not quite perfect, but it's not bad. You know, you should probably stay away from significant leadership again in case you fail. You know, maybe I should stay away. You're not really that cut out to be a leader, are you? You see how those little lies begin to tag in? And no one says them, right? but your mind just begins to think them. And you don't take those thoughts captive. Suddenly another rock gets added onto the pile. And another rock, and another rock. And then another situation comes up, and I could stand up to leave, but instead I don't because I don't feel like I'm good enough, and another rock goes on the pile. There's a lot more that I could say, would like to say about strongholds that we don't have time for today because it's something that involves the work of the enemy. There is a spiritual dynamic that we need to address and deal with. And so go on the living free course. Right? I'm going to just say it again, said it a few times. Go on the living free course. It's incredibly helpful, and we do this in full depth and detail, and there's a lot more that we can say. Now let's get to the heart of what we're going to say today, and we're going to begin to wrap up as we get here. Right? Because what, because what we think and what we believe really matters, because this is the foremost place at which we do spiritual battle with the enemy, it becomes critical that each and every one of us is able to take charge of that battlefield, to uproot and remove the rocks that exist in our lives and renew our minds. That is God's call to us. So let's go to our favorite famous passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right, many of us know this scripture well. In fact, you saw the title and you were wondering why it's taken me so long to get to the scripture in the message, right? See, Paul writes the scripture to, uh, to a church in Rome, and the context of that church is they are Jewish Christians and they are Gentile Christians, and they are both convinced that they are better than the other ones. 
So the Jewish Christians are saying to the Gentile Christians, listen guys, we've always been God's people and we've got God's Lord, so you need to listen to us. And the Gentile Christians are saying to the Jewish Christians, no, but the Jews have rejected Jesus as the Messiah and salvation has now become the providence of the Gentiles. And so you must listen to us and we're better than you. And each of them is caught up in the thinking of the world. They're about pride. They're trying to one-up each other instead of understanding that it's by grace through faith that God has given them this beautiful gift of salvation and that they're equal brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so Paul writes to them and he says, guys, you've got to stop. You've got to stop thinking like worldly people. Deal with your mind. Deal with the stuff that's going on in here because you have believed the wrong thing. You've been deceived by lies. And you need to be transformed. You go back to your grade 8, 9, 10 English. You see the word, the verb transform there is passive. You know what that means? It means you don't do the transformation. The transformation happens to you as you renew your mind. As you renew your mind, you are transformed. Then you will think rightly. You'll be able to perceive God's will. You'll be able to think as Jesus thought about moments and situations and trials and challenges. Can you feel the importance of this call? The transformation of our lives critically relies on our ability to think rightly. To bring our thought life into alignment with the truth of God. To process our thoughts. To take them captive and bring them into obedience to Christ. And the more we do that, the more rocks we remove from our farm. But when we fail to do that, our lives become rocky, shrub-infested subsistence farms. We're barely able to feed ourselves, never mind anyone else. So how do we do that? Right, let's ex- we're going to explore just five handles to say how do we transform our minds. And the first and the most obvious one and the one that every pastor worth his salt wants to say is spend time in Scripture, right? It's the most important thing. Spend time in Scripture to allow God to align your mind with what He has said. Saturate yourself in Scripture. But, and I want to say this because every time I hear this message, I realize that there are different ways in which people engage with Scripture. And some people love reading Scripture. And it's like, it's life, it's bread and butter, and it's easy. And for others, they're just not wired that way. And so whenever someone says this, you feel instantly condemned, because you know that if someone had to count the amount of hours you spend reading scripture in a week, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do super well in that test. So I want to I say how we go about doing this is significant and important. And because God has wired you differently from someone else doesn't mean you're a bad person doesn't mean you're a bad Christian, but it does mean you need to think about how you're going to do this in a different way. Sometimes the season of life that you're in makes it really difficult to find that what we traditionally call quiet time, where you're able to just spend this dedicated time in, with the Lord and in Scripture. Maybe you're a young parent, and you've got kids that are waking up three times a night, and it's like an absolute flip, and you just every second of sleep that you can steal is precious and critical. Maybe you have a job that's really demanding and intense and you have to get up really early to get to work and to come back from work and it's late and you just need to spend time with your wife. I'm not the guy that's going to tell you, guys, you just need to get up earlier. You just need to suck it up. 
You're ready to get up at 5 a.m. for work? Well, you need to wake up at 4.30. You spend Praise the Lord. If you can do that, the Lord bless you. Right? The Lord bless you. And may he make that blessing abundant to you. I can't do that. And so I'm not going to call you to do that. Right? But if you, if you can do that, I pray those are blessed times with God. But if we're going to do this in real life, we need to find a rhythm that works for us in the space of life that you're in that's sustainable. Because that's what matters. Sustainably spending time with God in His Word. And that might change as your season of life changes. As you find yourself with different freedoms and spaces, you can do different things. But let me bounce some ideas off you. First, and I want to say this, value the quiet, uninterrupted spaces. If you can, if there is a way where you can have a quiet, uninterrupted space, value it. Some of the best times I've spent with the Lord in Scripture have been spaces where I've got away, I've been by myself, no one's been able to access me. And I've been uninterrupted. I haven't had a time pressure that I had to meet. If you can do that, do it. It's beautiful. But do you have other spaces? Does your job give you a lunch break that you're actually able to use and not expected to work through? You know, maybe that's a space that you can use to, to put some scripture into your life, spend some time with your, with the Bible. The value of audio Bibles, right? There is, there's a phone, right? Phones have U version on them, most of them. Right? If you don't know what version is, download the Christianity 101 app. No, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> Search for Bible on the Play Store or the Apple's App Store and you can get a Bible on your phone. And the, the Bible will play itself to you. So if you have a commute and you get from one place to another or you've got time to kill, you just struggle to read, you can listen to the scripture. If you, I discovered there's another great little tool that, that I really enjoy. It's called Streetlights. And some guys who are gift, gifted in hip hop found the NLT Bible, and they read it to a hip-hop beat. It's awesome, right? It's fantastic. And so my personal I will statement, which is something we do in our life group, and something I want to encourage you to do. When you study scripture, we always finish and we go, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do as a result of this in the next two weeks? How do you want me to live this out in obedience? And uh, we, we were in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Uh, last week in our life group. And the, the thing I felt the Lord saying to me is, Brad, I want you to saturate yourself more in Scripture. And so my commitment was, when I drive to work and when I drive from work, I'm going to listen to the Bible instead of worship music. And I love my worship, but I just felt like the, there was a space that I could create that allowed me to saturate myself more in the Word. Sometimes teaching is really helpful. Right? Teaching is good, but there are some limits to it. You sometimes get a lot of the person's thoughts, you get a lot of my thoughts, and you get less scripture than if you were just in it yourself. Right? It's also a little bit easy to avoid thinking for yourself because you get to glean from the wisdom of others, which again is helpful. Right? Daily devotions, similar kind of idea. They're good, they're helpful, they bring you back to the scripture, but again, you just, you're getting a lot of someone else's input. You're maybe not necessarily processing for yourself. Sometimes you're removing yourself from the context of the scripture. So add them to how you spend time with the Lord. Scripture is good. Okay. That was point one. That was the longest one. The next four, quick. Okay. Prayerful introspection. Right. This is not just introspection, which all the introverts are like, yes, I love to think. And all the extroverts are like, what is that? Prayerful introspection means prayerfully processing your day. It means looking back and evaluating how you acted and probing your thoughts and the beliefs that led to those actions. So when I chirp my mates, 
the Lord led me to do this. And I processed what had happened and why that had happened. And God showed me there was stuff I'd been carrying from my childhood. There were rocks that I hadn't dealt with that caused me to have a hard piece of ground in this space. That Then I knew to take them out. My prayerful introspection invites God to search our hearts and know me. That's Psalm 139. Lord, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Show me the stuff that I'm carrying, God. Why did this happen like it happened? Why did this ungodly stuff come out of me? Help me to see it. Show me what I need to do. All right, prophetic revelation. Often God will use the prophetic to either call out some of the rocks in our lives. Right? Roland reminded us how Nathan did this for David two weeks ago. He went to Dave and he said, listen, Dave, I want to tell you this cool story. Tells him the story. Dave gets outraged and Nathan looks at him and he says, listen, Dave, you're the guy. You're the guy that sinned, Dave. Sort yourself out. Right? There was a prophetic insight that came from someone else. To We don't tend to operate like that in the prophetic today. Although sometimes the Lord may, in his grace, do that. But... The other way the prophetic works is to redirect our lives back to God's truth and his intention for us and his plans for us. And we have a team at Connect who would love to serve you, and they operate primarily in that second way. right? They're not going to stand and say, listen, um, Brad, you're in sin. Sort it out. But they are going to say, this is how what we see God saying to you. This is the, the way in which God has shown us that he sees you. This, this is the way in which he wants to align your life to him. And call you to that. And they are such a wonderful team. They are humble, they are gracious, and they are gifted. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to be a, if you want to receive prophetic ministry, contact our church office, book a spot, and they would love to do ministry with you. Fourthly, the living free course. Right? I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, I'm the living free guy. Right? Living free is so helpful, it's so good for cleaning out our fields. It's so good for finding the rocks and kicking them out of the fields. And we explore in a lot more depth what we've done quite briefly uh, in this series. And we even create a ministry space where we do that with you. And in that ministry space, we give you the tools to live that out and do it yourself as you go forward. So keep an eye out for the course when it comes up. We, because of that ministry space, we have to keep it quite limited. So when it comes up, we run it once to twice a year. If you see it, I can't recommend it enough. It's a great course to be on. Then finally, last tool, one of the tools that comes from the Living Free course is called the five R's. Right? I love this. I find it so helpful. This is how do we deal with some of the stuff that's in our lives. And you probably can't see it on the screen, but that is a picture of the five R's that I wrote out and laminated on my door. But the first one you want to do is recognize. You want to, you need to recognize, is there, is there a rock? Is there a thing in my life that's not what God wants it to be? And either God has shown you that, you've seen it through prayerful introspection, someone's given you a prophetic word, whatever, you've recognized the rock, you've recognized the sin. Then there's God's grace to repent. That's the second R. Turn away from it. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Because remember, the rocks of the enemy hold us back from the fullness of what God has for us. So we repent of it. doesn't just mean we say sorry, but we turn away from what we were doing. We receive the forgiveness of God, and we begin to move in the new direction that God has called us to. And that's the third R, realign. It runs with repentance. Repentance is turn away. Realign is turn toward Right, we, what does God say about this? How does God, how would God want to align my life and my way of thinking in this space? I realign myself to that. And then because strongholds are empowered by the enemy, we then deal with the enemy. 
Right? And because you have repented of the place you were in, you've removed the legal authority the enemy has over you. You now rebuke the enemy. That's the fourth R. You speak to him, you say, for Vader. Right? Well, we don't, by the way, we don't address Satan himself because he's one dude. He's not omnipresent. And the possibility of you having Satan himself in your life is low. Right? Because there are seven billion people in the world. But we deal with the spirits that work on his behalf. Again, more in living free. And finally, we replace. Right? So, you've recognized the sin. You've repented of the sin. You've realigned yourself to the way in which God has called you to live. You've dealt with the influence of the enemy in that space. And now you want to put in the good stuff on an ongoing basis. You want to retrain your brain. You want to create new neural pathways where old things triggered you into some form of sinful reaction. You want to instead say, okay, how can I trigger myself back to what God has said? Right? So maybe it's, you know, you always, you had the wrong view of yourself, like me, and you felt insignificant. Maybe it's about, you need to take verses that speak about how God has created you, and you laminate them, and you stick them on your bathroom mirror. So when you get up in the morning, and you go into the bathroom, you see the truth, and you remind yourself of what God has said. Maybe there's a situation that you would always put yourself in, and it would trigger you to do something. And now this time you say, when I feel that trigger, instead of doing that thing, I'm going to choose to do this. Right? When me and my spouse get into a disagreement, instead of getting emotional and defensive, I'm going to step back, I'm going to go and pray for five minutes, and then I'm going to come and engage. Right? We replace an old negative behavior from the enemy with a new positive one from the Lord. Okay, I'm going to draw my message to a close. And I want to close with um, two minutes of quiet. I don't think we're going to do a song because I think we're running a little long. Okay, so... I want to close and just give you a space to sit and ask God, God, is there something that you want me to do as a result of what we have heard this morning? So make an I will statement for yourself. Is there a rock that God has been showing you that is in your heart somewhere that he wants to get out? And if you want help dealing with that, I want to invite you. You're so welcome to chat to me, email me, WhatsApp me. Right, my email's on the church website. It's brad at connectchurch.org.za. We'd love to help you deal with any, any rocks the Lord reveals and wants to remove. Is there that? Is there a rhythm that God wants you to create so that you are constantly being renewed in your mind and your body and your life is being transformed to look more like Jesus? So Holy Spirit, we thank you for this space. We thank you for this time. Thank you that you are amongst us and in this place. And we invite you, Lord, to come and just lead us. Show us what the next step is. The step of obedience you're calling us to take. I choose to wait on you together this morning. Thank you, God.
Jesus, I thank you that it is for freedom that we have been set free. And that when the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. I thank you, God, that you love to be at work in our lives, molding us, shaping us, and conforming us more and more into your image and likeness. Lord, our commitment to you this morning is that we desire to allow that work of your Spirit in our lives to happen. We invite you, God, to find those hard places and to clean out the rocks and the shrubs that are preventing our lives looking like you want them to look. And we ask you, Lord, to come renew and restore our minds. Draw us more and more into the righteousness and the truth of God. May we live out of that place, God, and help us to see the hard places, the places that need work, and give us the courage, God, to go there and to clean them out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's been wonderful to be with you. We have some tea and coffee available outside. If you would like to chat or if you'd uh, yeah, like to do some ministry, you're very welcome to do that.